folks. Um, uh, I'm talking with Jake Dunnigan this morning, um, who is uh, at Institute for the Future, and for over a decade now has been researching, exploring, and creating prototypes and experiences around the future of governance, um, including um, experiments in the direction of, of new models of constitutions, new kinds of constitutions, new ways of thinking about and exploring uh, the constitutional space. So. Jake, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that work began um, and what have been some of the major points in the arc of the trajectory of the research and, and work that you've been doing over the past decade or so. Sure, uh, I'll, I'll spare you the origin story of growing up in a very backward place, uh, which, was, which made me see the failures of government up close. Um, but I think that the more proximal uh, origin was uh, well, at least of the trajectory that, that I've been on, uh, came through a, uh, a random box of books left outside a bookstore that I started as an undergrad. And in that was a kind of uh, manuscript printed, uh, pre-published pre, pre uh, copy of a book, which ended up being called Quantum Politics. And it was a set of uh, thought experiments to imagine what if we built our political systems, our constitution based on new physics rather than uh, Newtonian mechanics and billiard ball kind of thinking that that our that the U.S. Uh, Constitution was was based on. Um, and I really just got really inspired by that. So just rethinking the fundamentals of where we began and that that kind of thinking uh, took me to even before I got into futures and foresight, uh, that was the trajectory. And then I found out that, a, that they had a quantum politics group at the University of Hawaii with a guy named Jim Dater as part of that. I started reading Jim Dater. He's a, a, a famous academic futurist. Loved his work, loved uh, Futures and Foresight. I came out of social science and anthropology. So these kind of questions about why people do what they do uh, and why other people do something differently to solve the same problems um, was always you know, part of, of things that got me excited uh, intellectually. And so that was that was the kind of government, government governance part of it, political system design. You know, I'm, I'm was never that interested in campaigns or, you know, who to vote for. Yes, of course, as a as a you know, functioning person of a democracy. But I was really interested in, in system design and political system design. What if we designed a new way of, of making decisions or a new way of allocating resources uh, at a fundamental level? And what are the what are the assumptions and worldviews that go into that design process? All of that was in the mix for me. And so I went to the University of Hawaii, studied with Jim Dater, thought a lot about what he in, he calls social invention, which is a term that I've latched on to as well. Uh, which is it's it's really uh, embarrassingly simple, but we don't often think about ourselves as social inventors. We invented <laughs> the system we as humans that we live live in. Uh, they were a uh, a design, a technology, a prosthetic for us to get things done collectively, uh, and we can redesign that. And we're we don't have to be a slave to the machine that we built. We can redesign the machine and and rebalance that relationship in some way to think about it as a tool that we use for, for purpose. And so all of that goes in that kind of very much framework thinking, uh, which has led me uh, kind of intellectually and, and pathways forward. Yeah, so the, the, um, the invocation of, of the machine is, is a nice thing to pick up on. Um, because uh, for a long time, and you, you know, you made the reference to Newtonian physics, Certainly, you know, in in the European Enlightenment project, there was this very clear idea um, that 
politics could be mechanical um, and uh, and could be uh, a kind of machine system for you know very 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 uh, quite literally regulating um, how the society worked and to your point conceiving of you know the elements of the society and social actors um, as as you know uh, an analogous to to physical uh, bodies um, uh, in 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 the sense of physics. Um, that said, um, you know, I'm curious um, when you talk about the de design of political systems, or the re especially the redesign of political systems, mm -hmm. um, what that actually looks like is, is that the is that the invention of new machines? Is it is it um, is it stepping outside of the machine metaphor and, and and not just metaphor, but in fact, you know, the machine approach? Um, mm -hmm. And to what extent uh, also? Uh, seek to learn from uh, political forms and systems th that are not part of of the European sort of mm -hmm. you know uh, machine building industrialization uh, rational organization of society project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of lots of juicy angles uh, to take on that one. I'll I'll give what I think is a concrete example. Um, so our you know the Western Enlightenment, of course, it does, it's not only uh, from that tradition, but uh, the idea that rights, responsibilities, the, the political subject is a bounded individual, and, indiv and rights are tied to individuals, and we vote uh, one person, one vote, that kind of thing. Um, that idea itself is we it, it, it's, it's so naturalized we don't really think about alternatives to that, and that is a it's a kind of relatively new concept in human history rather than thinking about a political subject or a political political entity based around a family, you know, or a tribe, or, you know, we could go in a different direction and think about, you know, what if a political subject was a gene or a strand of intelligence or a conscious entity rather than a human bounded individual. So, you know, the kind of Newtonian boundedness where these little billiard balls bounce up against each other and you get 435 people together and you deliberate and you sort of turn the turn the deliberation machine and it all comes out you know but it, it's sort of at, atomistic in that way but what about a non-atomistic way of designing a political system where it's either multi-humans you know like i mean we have a corporation you know we have we have all these shoehorned ways in to try to, to try to make it fit into a system based on these assumptions about bounded individuals so okay a corporation is now an individual it has individual rights but it's a you know what is it it's a you know, a fabricated entity of multiple people and, and things. Um, and so we try to shoehorn things like, you know, rights for nature and glaciers and rivers and, um, you know, all of those things try to fit into that. But what if we rethought those assumptions? So I, what I get really excited about is those those fundamental assumptions that we think are natural and universal or they're not, you know. And, and so we open the door to things like uh, an artificial intelligence having pol political rights, you know, or animals or, like I said, you know, like a a genetic code or a virus or whatever it just it, you know, not, not all of these it makes sense uh you know on the surface but it opens the door to that to rethinking those fundamental assumptions and, and to your you know your point about kind of the western tradition or european tradition you know animistic beliefs uh beliefs about ancestors a, a, a kind of enchanted world you know do ancestors have rights and, and a say in the political system do future generations the unborn have a say you know, so if we rethink time and the boundedness of what a political subject is, it, it really 
then you know the creativity is open operationalizing all of that fun creativity is, is where it gets really difficult but i love even just opening that box yeah of course and and the thing that i think is so uh interesting and cool about the work that you've done over over recent years is that that work has been far from academic far from just you know ideas in books um and and fanciful theories but you you've done concrete uh projects um exploring uh exploring new possibilities for politics and constitutions and you mentioned uh when we were talking earlier that a recent project involved um a, a constitutional effort uh right right where you are around austin texas maybe you can talk a little bit about what that was about and um some of what happened yeah so you know where do you intervene in this crazy world of ours to make a difference and uh you know probably the smartest thing to do if you really want to make a difference is to become a billionaire but you know some of us have, <laughs> have other pathways that maybe we don't want to do that or ethical uh moral qualms about the way to become a billionaire that aside if you really want power that's how you change things but uh, for our our little humble uh, attempts uh to do something points of intervention for me are really again around social invention can we even change the mindset and worldview that that we are responsible for capable of responsible for mandated really to redesign political systems so it starts there uh, a generation you know uh, uh, of people that 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 see themselves as system designers and political systems designers that's step one okay well you're that uh do you think the system is broken yeah okay yeah it's not working at least limited if not totally broken and failing uh in many cases uh do you want to do something sure what do i do and so what what a lot of what I, work i've been doing builds on again on jim dater's uh course that he used to teach around political system design where you, you again you go way upstream on things and so i have this is the toolkit we created so it's a step-by-step -step process yeah i want to redesign the government <laughs> you know, that's or you know or governance uh it's a kind of big audacious uh thing to say so what do you do where do you start and so trying to put that into again it's you know a, a crazy creative uh process to put in a step-by-step -step form it's not it's not a formula but there you know you can think through things in a systematic way and in, in an order and a sequence that maybe maybe it's helpful to do that so we created that toolkit from the class, we did something called the Reconstitutional Convention and, and um, at IFTF 10 years ago, uh, we had uh, 55 folks, as you say, you know, I come from academia, I have a PhD, all of that, but I also think that the answer to the future is not gonna come from purely constitutional law professors, you know? Uh, it's gonna be designers, it's gonna be activists, it's gonna be artists, it's gonna be game designers, it's gonna be, futurists and it's going to be scholars and constitutional law professors and elected officials and, and and community activists and all of that so we had all those folks come together we had nine satellite uh locations around the world from i always joke from bangladesh to birmingham <laughs> where we're represented and lots of other places in between and it was basically just to road test this to see could we come up with some ideas uh you know that that were different uh does does this process lead to interesting outcomes uh, going back to things we've already talked about, what is what are your beliefs about reality? What do you think about human nature? Are we greedy and rational? Are we collaborative and you know situationally rational? Just to, to what's a political subject? So you have to name these things first before you go into oh yeah I'm going to have mixed member voting or something like that. No, what is your belief about reality? What do you, what do you think humans do and are? Uh, then you those create the design brief or the design constraints for 
going forward. So that's sort of where that started. We we did that ten years ago. It was really exciting. Um, uh, we created preambles that you know, like a, that was one of the way station deliverables to creating a, a, a full-on constitution, which I love because preambles are basically mission statements for your society, and they have a lot of you know, floor floor flourishing language, and you know they're they're, they're great. So I, I highly recommend thinking about that that genre of writing as a way to to begin the process. What's your mission statement? Then then how you would design it. But a long way around to saying yes. A couple of months ago in Austin, we did a, a a bit a bit of a smaller reprise of the of the constitutional convention that we ran ten years ago, and uh, so we we you know kind of modified some of that process. We also uh, were really thinking about it. Kind of the language kind of changed over time, but the the, the shortest version was what if women wrote the constitution, and. Uh, you know, so we it came more around inclusion and, and things. So that was kind of a, an impetus to to drive that project. And we had some folks go th go through the, the the design process again, think through some things. A, a couple quickly, a couple of my favorite uh, outcomes of that, which really got me thinking about the kind of uh, I don't know leverage points or bang for the buck of certain kinds of of design inclusion. So one of them was the right to rest, which I really loved. So you know. You have to be careful with the rights because they are kind of like a legal hammer and they can do a lot and they can be you know sort of unfunded mandate kind of things if you just say it but if you really commit to it what does the right to rest means it means probably fair uh working conditions it probably means you know decent income for yourself it means a a, a kind of orientation to how we live and work which has all these cascading effects, which I really love. So yeah, right to rest. What does that mean? Well, that means you have to you have to redesign society broadly to make that possible. A similar one was right to childhood. So if you have a right to childhood, that means we have to a right to safety. Does that mean we change our gun laws? Does that mean we we provide health care and food? You know, so those little those those little things that seem okay, yeah, that makes sense, but then have cascading effects. Uh, I really latch on to those concepts. I think those are really powerful. Yeah, I love all that. <clears throat> you know, what part of part of what you're reminding me, you know, is is you know, you, you used the word naturalized before. Mm -hmm. You know, for, for so many of us, uh, ideas of, about things like constitutions, to the extent that we understand them uh, at all, we think of them as belonging in their creation to some you know, long enough ago past that. Mm -hmm. That we don't consider that the way that they were made um, is that groups of people got together and talked them into existence, right? Um, mm -hmm. that there was a thing that wasn't there before, or there right. was an old thing uh, that people were breaking away from in the case of, for example, the United States and certainly other other countries that have uh, that have broken away from from colonial pasts or something uh, mm -hmm. or into a new um era but 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 there th that we miss uh that human history uh that human creative history and to your point about political invention uh in, in dater's phrase um the the other thing which which is really interesting is is you know when we think about doing this you know now tomorrow um you know i think for most people the idea of of doing constitutional work um you know first of all you know, w w people, most people have the mental model of of a political constitution, and certainly that's one kind. Um, but also, um, you know, the idea of creating experiments, as you have done, um, which make possible things that 
current political reality doesn't permit. And that that's mm -hmm. part of the point, right? Is mm -hmm. that we can include different kinds of participants, different principles of participation. Um, you alluded to the, the, this one in Austin and foregrounding, um, you know, uh, a, a shifting or centering of, of women as authorities um, in, in this constitutional conception. So I'm, I'd love to hear you talk about the two big rocks there. One, the the way in which experiments like this create new uh, possibilities for participation. Um, and two, what the impact of doing experiments like, like this is. Um, you know, what do we learn? Who learns it? Um, what effect does that learning have? Uh, how does it how does it move us in any uh, appreciable way toward political futures that we want? Right. Yeah, there's um I haven't been directly involved as as much in this world as as others have, but it's a growing movement around citizens assemblies. Right. So very very simply, let's get a hundred people together instead of you know uh, a body of elected officials that are ruling on everything. What if we get a hundred random or you know selected by uh, a, a a rigorous process, get together and, and and look at the issue, talk through you know a policy. Uh, it usually happens over days or weeks. You know, this is an ongoing process. It's not just some show up and vote. So there's a lot of del deliberation. Deliberative democracy is another sort of cousin of that as well. But that's a growing movement. So Citizens Assembly, like, it, for example, in France, they've had a number of these, one of them around end of life care, got people together, you know. Um, so the, the initial result is it's a more democratic process. You know, you may have... Uh, Kind of robust representation of what the people want because they've thought about it it's, it's a group of public folks it's not people that are bought off or politicians or have different agendas so you have that side of it what the second part of your question which i really love in the in the accounts of these experiences people come back and say you know i had no i had no interest in politics i had no interest in policy i had no interest in participating in any kind of political endeavor but after doing this i'm i'm energized i'm connected i feel connected to to, to people even if you know even if they're Point of view didn't win the day they are uh civically engaged in a way that they weren't before and that kind of corollary benefit of having a way to participate politically that's not just a kind of horse race tribal my team won and i'm i'm gonna vote and it's you know it's very contained and it's really kind of toxic in many ways but this this way of saying okay yeah my voice actually has has an impact uh and, and yeah. then I get something out of it. I get the, I get the benefit of feeling connected, and I, I love that side of it almost as much as the you know what is their actual outcome. And I, I think you know both of those things I think are very promising for a future way of doing political engagement. Yeah, and certainly one of the things that I've heard um, about people's experiences in in those kinds of deliberative bodies um, is, on the one hand, that rather than participate strictly um, to represent their personal point of view. Um, in thinking about a problem, you know, as you, you, you pointed to end of life care as an example, I know in Ireland, for example, citizen assemblies were struck to deliberate about um, uh, the ch changes in Ireland's abortion law, changes in the laws around gay marriage. And, you know, part of what I understood um, was, was that people were charged with, uh, people brought into the assembly were charged with the, the responsibility to find uh, a better way 
for everyone um, mm -hmm. and to think, you know, not only about themselves and their own views, values, perspectives, of course, mm -hmm. and include those, but also to to try to think about what what's best for all here. Um, mm -hmm. And um, and one I've heard, you know, anecdotally in line with what you were saying, how transformed people feel by that experience, how much mm -hmm. they embrace the the the, the um, affirmative side of that responsibility, uh, and right. the empowering um, uh, ability to have real voice uh, and make a real contribution. Um, but the other thing which which uh, you hear about and which I find so fascinating about that model of of bringing people together is that the way in which the collective comes together in conversation um, helps the group both individually and collectively think in new ways that are that were not possible you know right. uh, from the from the single individual point of view um, right. and so that what we have is not an aggregation of points of view as if you know we're just counting the various yeah. perspectival votes but actually right synthesizing and coming to a new way of thinking as a group and literally changing our own minds um, and using, uh, you know, one way of putting it, a kind of expanded mind uh, or, or, or a meta mind um, to do uh, that kind of thinking. And, and that, you know, that's led me to, to uh, a hypothesis about, um, about the potential of of constitutional work um that that looks like that um and um and that is that that kind of thinking uh is a kind of artificial intelligence not mm -hmm. in the sense of being you know a machine intelligence but mm -hmm. in in the sense of being a product of a process a designed process to which mm -hmm. individuals contribute but aren't merely being added up as individuals, but are actually right. together creating a new kind of cognitive, cognitive capacity uh, right. that has both an ethical dimension and a cognitive dimension. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, how does that map, map map to some of the things that you've seen in the experiments that you've done? Yeah, well, you're speaking my language. I've, I've done work in an area called neuropolitics, which is, you know, trying to look at well, in one sense, you know, how do how do our brains, uh, how are they monitored or you know manipulated? And there's that that sort of ethical side to it. But really, to me, the, the more interesting part was, you know, how do our how do our brains work collectively? Uh, what is a what is a cognitive ecology look like? What are the politics of a distributed mind or uh, a cognitive ecology that we design? And so, yeah, you can think about I mean, I, I much prefer to talk about AI as a new entrant into our mental ecology or cognitive ecology that that changes things. You know, we're sitting in front of a computer instead of in front of a, a stone tablet or, or or even pen and paper. That creates a different kind of mental ecology. So, how do we design mental ecologies for the outcomes that we want? And a deliberative process, you know, a, a legal process uh, going to court is a is a mental extension to try to adjudicate conflict in some way and so we have all of these you know kind of arcane rules and you know a, a system of juries and there are 12 and you have evidentiary rules and you have ways of talking that basically are an, it's a, an extended artificial intelligence to help us make to adjudic adjudicate issues and conflict um and make decisions so you know government itself is that it's just an invention for us an extension of our mental capacity individually and collectively to do things 
together. And so I think if we just frame it as what kind of mental ecology or cognitive ecology is best for collective decision making or democracy, if you want to you know, assume that. And is it, you know, voting for this person who runs the best campaign and that's a it's you know first past the poll kind of thing? Or is it is it more of a a system of decision making that involves all of us and has these different kind of experience and it does these kind of things that you're talking about, which gets us more engaged. It helps generate new ideas rather than to to sort of concretize into tribal you know us against them you know there's all kinds of positive benefits so i think if we think about the design of cognitive ecologies as a political act then i think that again sort of leads us into uh, some exciting territory yeah i love that and and one of the things that i i don't know that i'd heard um you know either uh, neuropolitics or cognitive ecology um but but i doing interesting things in in my head right now with with both of those things um but but one of them you know you you prov provided a way in for something else that i've been thinking which which i've been thinking about as a question um and and uh, and the question the way i've stated it is what if diversity is a technology mm -hmm. um and I kind of want to want that question to do at least two kinds of work. One, to um, uh, sort of make some shift in how we're used to thinking about what diversity is and why it matters mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, and also uh, likewise do some shifting around about what we think technology is and is for, mm -hmm. how it, how it mm -hmm. comes about. And it strikes me, you know, and I'm curious to, 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 if you've got a thought about how this played out in the in the Austin constitutional uh, experience, that diversity um, is uh, potentially uh, a powerful technology within a cognitive mm -hmm. ecology or or a neuropolitics that is capable of something that monocultural uh, or dominant cultural mm -hmm. uh, cognitive um uh frameworks uh or technologies are not right and the, mm -hmm. the clue is here that diversity you know isn't just about um being fair to people um mm -hmm. and and hearing people out um it's using a different kind of resource to create uh the futures that we want um mm -hmm. futures that are that are not just fair on paper but mm -hmm. fair in practice um, yeah yeah you know I, I think uh there is a moral argument to be made uh you know for inclusion um but there's also outcome based and you know i i think that's where that's where it's going to really catch on is that is better and that we come up with more interesting ideas um you know not to not to abuse scientific um uh, analogies and so forth but you know you think about the edge of chaos in complexity science between as you say sort of a monoculture or an agricultural monocrop a monopoly they're very efficient but they're very brittle uh and if things change you know you're you're lost too much chaos also is is too hard i i have uh, my friends and colleague christopher cabaldon the former mayor of west sacramento in my ear when he talks about democracy as a war of attrition and going to city council meetings and they're just hell because you know especially these days with you know conspiracy theorists and everything else so there's a there's a version of this where it's just noise and so finding that right 
balance. You know, you want diversity, you want different opinions, you want new things to come out of it. As you say, you want emergent ideas that maybe we haven't thought of before to be possible. And they're generally not if everybody is sort of lockstep in the same kind of mind. So that diversity of minds and experiences and points of view is functionally uh, a functional improvement or has fun functionally positive outcomes and seeing it that way. And then again, just thinking about where the, what are the levers and knobs we have in that system? And maybe, you know, maybe more democracy and more diversity for everything is not right. You know, maybe we need to streamline certain things. Um, and, and, and so finding the place where democracy inclusion, diversity works best and using them and, and committing to that, uh, and understanding, you know, that, that things evolve over time as well. So, yeah. Um, uh, I would love to see that, you know, it's like, <laughs> like that after Taylor's book, you know, do, we, 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 I'm, I'm, miss, I'm messing up the title, but you know, we basically, uh, we, we've yet to achieve democracy, but we're going to miss it when it's gone. You know, we don't, <laughs> we, we, we haven't figured that out yet. Um, I hear you. but I think we should keep aspiring to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I think, you know, you and I um, have at least hopes about is that it's possible, although maybe hard to see, um, you know, at the moment, but it's possible that AI uh, in, in the sense of machine intelligence, in the sense of particularly generative models mm -hmm. um, and to generative and invention might provide not only new ways to be excited, about politics, but new ways to be engaged in it, and new ways of doing politics. Right? I mean, uh, that might that that might lead us back to um, constructive politics, not not back to in the sense of sort of back to the dog's vomit of existing political systems, um, but back to um, a, a kind of collective engagement um, that. You know, feels like we we have uh, we have wandered away from not because people don't want um, uh, the things that can only come through collective uh, action and collaboration, but because the route to being productive and constructive uh, has gotten so hazy because because um, it's hard to see through the chaos. Um, and um, and it's interesting to think about how our human uh, instincts, hopes, um, and so on, uh, together with uh, with some of this new technology, um, might deliver unexpected ways in which uh, we can we can explore, um, you know, very very different possible futures. Yeah, you know, I think this uh, this idea of of social invention means embedded in that is social experimentation political experimentation trying new things out how do we try them try those out in a way that we learn from them where the stakes are you know the collapse of society or you know like we, we need to find opportunities to try things out um it could be through gaming it could it could be in partnership with ai running you know my colleague calls it you know speed running reality we go through these different scenarios we can look at those things so adding you know adding these powerful tools into our cognitive ecologies we think about the ways that we experiment and where again our points of intervention in a system so that we can create basically it's learning you know just want to create feedback loops where uh you know if you're uh if you're in medicine you don't want to experiment on your surgeries <laughs> there's other ways to do it and sometimes you have to in desperate situations but 
um, you know, you want to find ways to make an effective feedback loop so, so that we're learning collectively and getting better. And, you know, I think a lot of us don't feel that forward motion of getting better or improving things. Uh, you know, it feels like the opposite. So that's kind of what I'm hoping and certainly open to how AI and some other of these kind of technologies might enter the mix and maybe, you know, maybe seeing pathways forward where we can speed up and improve our learning feedback loops. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I think that's a good place for us to end. I mean, I have still a lot of optimism about learning. Um, I think this is a this is a deeply human um, thing, and um, I, I've I've been talking about uh, my own hopes um, in the work that we see ahead in the uh, Oslo for AI project as. Um, bringing people together um, to uh, bring together diverse perspectives, get those perspectives working together in new ways to open up new possibilities for participation so that we can come to know more and through knowing more uh, and understanding more, um, find new ways to do better. Um, so, well, you know. Well, I have, a, I have a sort of emerging formulation in my mind that I'm, you know, I haven't really scoped out in detail, but it, it involves three parts. Um, uh, there's been some discussion around this metaphor of civic muscle, which I love. Uh, a fellow named uh, Trig, Trig Thronvite introduced me to that concept. So yeah, we need we need to practice. We need we need civic muscle. We need to do things uh, in our society. We need to exercise and get stronger. You know, uh, to do that. So I think that makes sense. And then the idea of civic head or mind. So we need like deliberative processes and, you know, how, how do we engage? How do we think through together in, in, in that sort of intellectual way to make decisions? And then the idea that we still we need a, a civic heart. We need a connection. We need an engagement. Uh, we need a, maybe even, you know, a love of each other and a better world at some point. So you put those things together. I think that's a powerful combo. Civic muscle, civic head and civic heart. Uh, I think some somewhere in that. Uh, Holy Trinity, uh, maybe there's a way forward. I love it. I love it. I thank, thank you for that. I, I, I now have the idea of a civic body, not as an abstract um, and depersonalized thing, but as, as a very physical thing. And right. uh, I think, I, I think that's right. I think, I, I think, I think those three ways of thinking about um, uh, what, what the dimensions of participation are, what the opportunities of participation are. Mm -hmm. What what are the kinds of things that we can nurture that go in the direction of those three things? That that, that those are powerful lenses. So I appreciate. It. Yeah, yeah, I'm latched onto that. <laughs> I'll be thinking about that for a while. Yeah, good. Okay, well, thanks so much for talking with us today, Jake. Great thanks. to see you. Yep. See Take you. Care.